seated this morning. Church, we're going to be in the book of Romans uh, today as we begin our journey through it. We'll be in Romans for a while, and uh, we'll jump in and out of it as we go through um, other passages of, of Scripture. There it is. Good. Uh, this morning, I, we had some friends, fifth and sixth grade, our children's ministry, doing some awesome things today. I know y'all got to see the video, but I don't know if you heard that, that what they really focused on this three week was three things. And if you have a shirt that matches mine in here, what are those three things? The first one was what? God's word. The second one was God's what? Right? And the third one was? God's people, God's word, God's love, and God's people. And they had a great time experiencing that, talking about that in many different ways. And so if you help provide for those students this week and those kiddos this week, I'm really excited for your part to play in that. Um, God is doing some neat things. In our preteen ministry, they get to experience it differently. Um, today, as we walk through Romans, we're going to be taking notes. We're, we're going to start putting a note-taking place in your bulletin. You can open that up if you're a manual note taper, if you're a phone taker or whatnot, you can do that as well. Um, but what we're really going to be focusing on as we walk through the series this year is how he is worthy of it all. And that's what we'll see through as Paul walks through this picture of Romans and this letter to the church at Rome. He's talking to God's people. And what's beautiful about Paul's letters is they're to the church. And the Spirit used him to convey the message to the bride of Christ that the world needs to know. And so when we walk through this, not we only just hear and see the things of Jesus, but we find our place and our role in that. As we walk through Romans, my goal or my hope is that just like a microscope, we are going to put the Lord underneath it and zoom in as close as we can. Do you remember doing those uh, classes in junior high and high school? Mine was in junior high when we got to put different things under the microscope. And it was amazing how much more incredible, how more dynamic things were under the microscope. You know, whether that was a piece of skin or a pre-made slide of a bacteria or DNA, the closer we got, the more complex it got, kind of the more wondrous it was. It, what's amazing is we serve a God of creation that knows that, that knew that. And so quite honestly, as we draw nearer to God, that's the expectation that he has for us, that we might be so captivated by how we see him that we might joyfully say, God, you are worth it all over and over and over again. And so today as Paul starts off this book of Romans, talking to the church, he reminds them of the gospel. If you have your Bible, just look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. We'll pause here for just a second. We're going to jump straight into it. The Bible says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And you know, there's a lot of ideas around what the gospel means, or how are there so many churches that they interpret scripture and the gospels so differently, or how do these people like this part of the gospel and not those parts of the gospel? How does it work? Are there a lot of different gospels out there? Are there a lot of different Christian Bibles out there? How does that work? Well, to me, Paul is saying, I, Lord, I know this is a problem in the Roman church. The word gospel wasn't a new word when Paul came on the scene. When we think about the gospel, we can think about a lot of different things. But back when Paul wrote it, the word gospel, it meant good news. 
But when the Christian church took a hold of it and it was tied into the word of God, it changed everything. And so what we're gonna just look at before we get any closer and walking through how do we respond, how do we live, how do we worship a God who's worth it all, is we're just gonna start off with this idea and the question is, what is the gospel and why does it matter? And, and if, you're, if you've been in church since you were seven and now you're 77, don't tune out. Don't tune out. If the best thing is like just getting a fresh breath of what God's doing. But I'm telling you, the way Paul lines this out, it, he shows us what the Spirit of God has done and prepared for all of us today. And my prayer today is as you zoom in closer to thinking about what the gospel is, the Lord just starts to tweak your eye a little bit. So first of all, we need to say, how do I know what the real gospel is? Go back to Romans chapter one, verse one. I want you to look very closely and it tells us very clearly where the gospel belongs. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be in a gospel, set apart, excuse me, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of who? Of God. That's exactly right. So if we were going to look at this today, here's what I want you to know. The, when we say the gospel, we are talking about something completely different than just regular good news. What we're talking about is God's gospel. Now this is, this is really important because it starts to talk then that the gospel belongs to someone other than me and you. This is the most incredibly profound statement because at the beginning of all of this letter, what Paul says, in everything that you're doing, God's gospel means that it's his possession, right? That it belongs to him. That's what verse one starts off the whole letter saying is, if it's God's, he owns it. It doesn't belong to Matthew. It doesn't belong to Mark. It doesn't belong to Luke. It doesn't belong to John. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. Who does it belong to? God, that has transformative meaning for our world today. See, what, what Paul would later write about this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, is he would say this, he would see to it that no one takes you captive by this worldly philosophy, by deceit, according to human tradition to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. What he's saying is for those people who, who pretend like the gospel is theirs to do with and manipulate and mold and smooth out and make more better and make more intelligent over time, what Paul says is that's not the gospel, be, be on guard. Because we love to cut and paste, don't we? See, I am not a great artist, as you all get to see. But cut and paste, I can, do, I can cut out some pictures. And what the Lord knew when he was speaking to Paul is that the world will want to cut and paste to make their own gospel. And they want to use some of my words here, some of their thoughts there, some of what their mom said, some of what their dad said, some of what their friends said, some of what the, the guy at school said, all of these things. Connor was talking to me about this week. He's got a teacher that was saying, hey, I just need an example of a secular miracle. And, and we know what he means and we want him to pass the, the test, so to speak. But the answer is, hell there, there's no example every miracle has itself seated and only the one who can control it 
Church, when you and I find ourselves talking about the gospel, we have to be very careful that we realize what we are dealing with, what we are embracing, is something that belongs to God. And it's not about my opinion or your opinion or what the world says it should or could be about. What's interesting is, in the very beginning of the book of John, John chapter 1, verse 13. In the beginning, when it talks about the coming of Jesus Christ, listen to what it says, 12 and 13. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, who were born not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What, what the Lord starts off double downing when it looks at the book of John is that just want you to know that the gospel, what it even brings, isn't dependent on you. You and I aren't smart because we figured out how to get saved. You and I aren't brilliant because we were shiny and pretty enough that God wanted us. You didn't just want it so bad that God finally gave in. Because God does not submit himself to you because it's his gospel that he's inviting you into. Church, the importance of this mark is this. If the gospel belongs to anyone but God, then you and I are gonna be tossed back and forth on the whims of whoever we're around, whatever they believe and how smart they sound. I mean, think about it. In the 90s, a young man rang the doorbell, wanted to pick up my sister. And he showed up in these pants that everyone knew were awesome and cool. In fact, the whole world was telling us how brilliant they were and how sharp you looked. They were called parachute pants. You remember those? Y'all, they were always ugly. Like they weren't ever cool. I mean, at the time they were, but then the whim changed and so now we know you just look silly. You see, when we look at fads in fashion, we see what things that are built on the whims and the wills of man, the philosophies of the world is. Nuclear injury was, energy was gonna kill everybody not too long ago. Now maybe it's what saves the world. Next month, who knows what'll happen. When we follow the whims and the philosophies of this world and we live our life according to it to look for the hope of the good news of God, then I am telling you, we are broken. Because if it's based on you or me who are broken and faulty, then it will fail. But what scripture says is, it's not. In fact, I would tell you this morning that the gospel is unmovable. Do you know why? Because he is. Do you see the difference? When we realize that the gospel is not up for debate, it's not up for grabs, it's not up for interpretation, it's not up for I'd really like it to say this, so I'm gonna pretend it says this. It's not up for I'm gonna pull this verse out and use it how I want to. It's not this, that, or the other. When we realize it belongs to God, then here's the rule. We aren't to change it. 
We aren't to tweak it. Because then it's no longer God's gospel, it's ours. And our gospel will not save. It's not the gospel of the Baptist church. It's not the gospel of the Methodist church. It's not the gospel of the Presbyterian church or the Bible church. Any church that has its own gospel, run from. Because the gospel belongs to God. And if we change it, then we are building a house on shifting sand. That's the first thing that Paul says. If I'm writing to you, church, I want you to know the gospel that we're talking about, the gospel that we're living through, it belongs to God. Don't mess with it. Verse two, the Bible says it this way. Which he, this is God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets and the Holy Scripture. Excuse me, which he promised before and through the prophets and in the Holy Scriptures. Here's the second part that I want you to run through. If this first part is possession, and I should have written that a little prettier so you could follow it with me the whole time, then the second part is promise. What he says in verse two is that the gospel is actually God's promise. And, and what I want you to see is for the rest of this passage and really for the rest of the book, these are the two veins that we're gonna see and understand the gospel in is that one, it belongs to God and two, it's the promise of God and all of the scripture is laid out under these directions, under these categories so that you and I don't have to be rocket scientists. We just have to receive what God has given, which he promised beforehand to the scripture October 1st 1932 do you know what happened at Wrigley Field that day the Yankees came to town and a guy had a little bit extra body weight on him stood at the plate before the ball was pitched he pointed his bat to the outfield he calls his shot and his name was what Babe Ruth did Babe Ruth have any way of guaranteeing that was gonna happen? No, in fact, odds were it wasn't gonna happen. In fact, if you go back and look at sports history, most people weren't sure if he was joking or not. Because the truth is he had no ability to call a shot. If he misses, if he, if he, if he fouls out, there's no legend. In the Old Testament, here's what we see. Over 300 plus times, God calls his shot. Before anyone knew what the gospel would be, before anyone knew what it would really look like, before I could see, before mine could conceive of the plans that God had for those who had called to be his people, God says over 300 times, this is what you look for. This is where you point. This is what I have for you. If any one of those 300 things doesn't happen, guess what? It's easy to say the God of Jacob and Abraham and Isaac is not the God of all things because he missed one. He is imperfect. Over 300 times, just about the gospel, just about the Messiah, every single one fulfilled. I, I don't know if... Uh, Moses and the people of God knew in Genesis chapter three. When, when people read what the prophets wrote and what the scripture said, 
when God said to the snake in the garden, you will bruise the seed of Eve's son's heel, but he will crush your head. But Paul knew, Romans chapter 16, for the God of peace will soon crush Satan. He knew, the people of God knew that Jesus, the Messiah, might be wounded by the enemy, but he would defeat him. You know, I, I think when the people were looking at Psalm chapter 22, they weren't sure how that would apply to the Messiah. All of his bones are there, not broken. The gamble for his clothes. It begins with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet on that day on the cross, Jesus Christ, not in control from the world's perspective. He couldn't have made, if he was just a man, people wage for his clothes. He couldn't have guaranteed his bones not broken. Only God could ensure the promises that he has made would be true. He calls his shot very specifically. He calls his shot in Isaiah chapter six, 9, verse 6. And he said, listen, Messiah is coming. He will be the Prince of Peace. In fact, he'll be named Emmanuel. Jesus as an infant. If God wasn't in control, if the gospel belonged to anyone else, this infant, I, I don't think I've ever seen a newborn come out and say, Mom, Emmanuel. The promise of God boast to his power if you and I make promises they are made on shifting sand the whims of our heart the desires of our life they go back and forth and eventually instead of this idea of this picture of the promise of God what we really provide is brokenness asking our family to believe in us most of the time but do you know how God makes this shot because he's unmovable and why is he unmovable? Because he is. The deeper that we look into who the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is, the more impressive he is. And that's what Paul says as he begins this whole idea of, if you wanna know what's going on with God's gospel, first of all, it's his. And secondly, it's been his promise the whole time. It hasn't changed. It hasn't affected. I don't care what version of the Bible that you're reading. God's promises have remained the same. And he was able to do that because he is. And then Paul says, verse 3. The Bible says it this way. Concerning his son. Concerning his son. Concerning is this directional idea, church. And I don't know about you or me, but if you really want to know what the gospel is about, what scripture says is it's about, je not justice, I can't spell Jesus today, is that it's about Jesus. We're going to go with that handwriting. There it is. If you ever want to know what the gospel is, it's not how to take communion. It's not how to do a good decision or a bad decision. What scripture says very clearly is that God's gospel, the only true gospel, is the story of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Why do we call Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospel? Because they record people following Jesus. 
They're really Jesus' story. Have you ever wondered what happened to Matthew's parents, how that whole relationship worked out? What about Simon Peter's mother? Where did it go? How about the side stories of all the disciples? The reason they're not recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is why? Because it's his story, not theirs. You see, church, when we, when we find ourselves wanting to know more, we have to be careful not to miss that God's gospel is Jesus. And if we make God's gospel about anything else, Galatians chapter 8, verse 1 would say it this way. But even if we were an angel from heaven, if we preach a different gospel to you other than the one we preach, let them be accursed. Holy Spirit inspiring Paul says if you preach a gospel that isn't Jesus then you are an enemy of the Almighty why because you are messing with his story church what a potent thing when we read these 300 prophecies in the Old Testament, are they a part of the gospel? Yes, in so much as they point to the story of Jesus. That's how they're connected to it. But the, the story of Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end, even in Revelation into the eternity, the gospel is his story. And church, we, we don't even need to get to how it impacts us yet because what we need to understand at the beginning of all of this is if it's anything other than Jesus, Jesus Christ crucified, rose again, Jesus Christ born of a virgin, sinful life, if it's anything but Jesus, if you mess with that, then you are preaching a different gospel. I don't care what the name on your church is. I don't care how many times you've been baptized because it is Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus. And if we had to add anything to it, or if we need to take anything away from it, it is not Jesus. And so before we take a closer look at God, what we have to say is, why is this the only unmovable definition of the gospel? Because he is. Church, we weigh a lot on our hearts and a lot on our minds. And we water down reality and we can set ourselves up to be an enemy of God. We know that scripture says the gospel belongs to me and it is my promise. But in verse three and verse four, he goes a little further and he kind of shows us how Jesus, verse three on this side, verse four over here is the example of that. Look at the beginning of verse three again. It says this, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. Church, I can't tell you how many times you'll see in your Bible this word flesh. It, it, it just can mean sinfulness, it can mean brokenness. But in this case, what everyone knew is we may not understand completely what all of these 300 promises mean. We may not can follow you. Some of them may be cryptic. Some of them may not make sense. But let me tell you one we can. If he isn't descended from David, then he is not the Messiah. That one we can figure out. You have to be connected to David. Jeremiah would, would preach this to the captives while in captivity. For thus said the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. 
So in Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, he not only fulfills the promise to God, that's how we, we get to experience and see that truth, but the second thing is, because he came in the flesh, Hebrews chapter 14, verse 14, or excuse me, verse four is also true. It says, because we have a Lord that came in the flesh, we have a great high priest who can understand everything that you're going through. And he came away perfect. And as a sacrifice for you, he intercedes. This idea that Jesus would come in the flesh and fulfill the promise, it was a must. Because the people of Nod, God knew of this symbolism of the sacrificial lamb. One was slaughtered, one was laid hands on and sin placed on it and sent out in the desert. They knew what the Passover was about and God was just passing over their sins, but never were they truly forgiven because their hope was that one day the perfect lamb of God who would come to take away the sin of the world would come and make the Passover obsolete because forgiveness reigned and that was Jesus. And what scripture says is because Jesus came in the flesh of the line of David, fulfilling the promise, he was also able then to be the great high priest. He was able to be the lamb of God and no one else would be able to do it because we are all broken and sinful and in need of a savior, but he is unmovable. Why? Because he is. Church, I don't know what the flesh has taught us in this world and what it's looked like to think about Jesus differently, but I want you to know he was truly man. He truly came in the line of David and everyone knew it. But what verse four says is not only did he come and fulfill the promise of God, but he also came in the spirit. Look in your Bible at verse four. Verse four says that Jesus Christ came, how? Verse four, declared the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says three things, Jesus in power, in the holiness of the spirit, and then through the resurrection. This is how he has proven to be a possession of God and not just a reflection of man the power of God being on him, we see in the resurrection. The holiness of God in his life, we see and we hear through the gospels. In Matthew chapter three, the spirit descends on Jesus. And what does God say in verse 17? This is my son whom I am well pleased, the son of God in holiness and righteousness. I want you to know you and I are children of God because we have been adopted in through the son of God, but all creation isn't children of God. Only those who have been born of flesh and the spirit. In John chapter three, Jesus is having this conversation he says, listen, the only way to life is available to those who have born through water in the flesh and those who have been born again by the spirit. He's not talking about spiritual gifts. He's saying mankind has the unique opportunity to be saved. And it only 
happens when they are drenched in the spirit of Jesus Christ receiving that gift of life. Church, Jesus is the fulfillment of the gospel because he is the gospel. And the power of God resurrecting him from the dead, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 would say this, if Jesus isn't resurrected, if Jesus doesn't come to life, then our hope is in vain. That's how important the resurrection is. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. The coming of Jesus Christ seals the truth. For the first time in all of history, and I know this is just a garbled mess, but all of a sudden, here's what we see. We see these two streams actually come together. We see the promise of God and the possession of God being being measured out in the flesh. That's the gospel. That's why it's important. That's what it means. That's why it's Jesus, only Jesus. And if there's not a question or, or if there's not a certainty, we just need to go to the word of Christ, to Jesus Christ, to find out and to say, God, what is the truth? Because scripture says, if we're in Christ Jesus, we've been given the mind of Christ. We've been told that we've been given the spirit of Christ to enlighten us, to show us his truth and his word. And so why does this matter? Because the very bottom of this whole mess is us. This is where we sit. Since the gospel isn't ours, we don't belong at the top. But because of the truth and the love and the grace of God, we're included. Look at verse five and six as we wrap up today. This is what scripture says. Through whom, this is Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship to bring the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ. Church, God wasn't so lonely that he needed a way to have company in heaven. What scripture says is that you and I have been given a gift through Jesus Christ. And this is why it matters to us because at this two points where it all comes together, where the promise of God and the possession of God is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we find out that right there through grace and through his truth that you and I have a part to play, a role to play. Why? Because because of the truth of Jesus Christ, we are made his possession as well. And here's why that matters. Because if in Jesus Christ, if he is the truth of God, if the gospel belongs to God, if our faith is grounded in God, when he says, you are mine and no one will rip you from my hands, then we have certainty that salvation is secure. We have certainty that those who have given their life to Christ Jesus, those who have received his grace, who have received his truth, that they know who he is and that knowledge of the son is certain and real. This is what Paul says in Philippians verse three, chapter three, verse eight. Listen to what he says. This is eternal life. This is it. That you may know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you want to know what a 
he's going to be like. As you dream and as you wonder, it's you and I with no barriers in the way, no sin to struggle with, getting to know Jesus better and better and better and better every day, and it never stops. It's you and I never having to wonder how to interpret creation because the creator speaks it to us. It's you and I never missing an opportunity for the glory of God to be praised. I was driving to church this morning about six o'clock. The rain was coming down really hard at my house. It was coming down pretty hard here. And this past Wednesday, we had kind of a, uh, or, or Tuesday, Monday, we had a flood coming through here. Um, we had trash cans lined up. It looked like the youth were playing a game. I'm on my way up here and we did some things on the roof to kind of help maybe remedy the problem. As I'm driving up to church, I start praying. I say, God, could you please let it not rain during service to get it today? God, could you please have let that work then the deluge not happen? And about halfway to the church, I realized something, that this gathering is his possession, not mine. See, I, I realized that the songs we sing, that the words we speak, that the lessons we talk about, they're an offering to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so I changed my prayer and said, God, if you choose to let it rain during the whole service today, let me know what to do. Because you know what's best and I want your truth. I don't want you to give me my truth because it is broken, it is fallible because it is based on me, but your truth God is not. Why? Because he is unmovable. And we receive that through his grace. When you think about the grace of God, here's what I want you to see. It gives us the ability to experience faith and obedience the way that he designed them to be. A faith that works because a faith without works is dead. Obedience that unlocks new levels. And we, we don't like the word of obedience too often, but every video game you've ever played in your life works with obedience, doesn't it, kids? If you look for this symbol and unlock it, you get a prize, right? If you do these things, you move on to the next level. No one says, oh man, I just had to move on to the next level. Obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ is this joyful act of expectation, of opportunity, because the gift of God that came through Jesus Christ has been promised through grace, and that's our part. In fact, the Lord would say it this way, inspiring John in 1 John chapter 2. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. What he says is, if you want to know that you have received the grace of God by the truth that you belong to him through his grace, then your faith works. You wanna know if you belong to Jesus Christ? 
Is your heart submitting to him as Lord and Savior? Is your life finding itself at his feet day in and day out? You're saying, God, can you help me know if I belong to you? It's no different because the gospel hasn't changed. Submit yourself to me. Follow me. And watch what I do. Church, we have not just been given the opportunity to live this out. But at the end, what Paul says, I've been made an apostle. And in verse 6, to share it with those who are still being called do you know in your life and in my life as we think about our role in the gospel it's to know him and to make him known it's not to know what you think it should be it's not to say well the world would let me this it's not to find a preacher who will tell you what you want to hear because the gospel doesn't belong to a preacher belongs to God and if you are God's possession and receive that gift of grace then he says in that grace I know you will taste and see how good I am because you can track my promises because I am immovable in church, in this room right now, if you have not received and known the truth of God, if you have not lived in the grace of God, or maybe you thought you have, but right here and right now, you say, God, you take me as I am. You wouldn't make me this way. You wouldn't let this happen. You wouldn't let this feel right. The truth is that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Not to affirm that being a sinner is okay. Not to twist the gospel to say something different but so that you might know the truth. And in that truth, have life eternal. So the call goes out to those who have yet to respond, but the word of God today is speaking clear. Deny yourself. You take up your cross and follow me and see what I have planned for you. And if you belong to Jesus Christ this morning, rest assured that your confidence is not built on who you are, but on the gospel that belongs to God, which is Jesus. And that is the rock on which we stand. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, I know it's not a new thing for people to preach a different gospel. But Father God, we want to be those who just follow and know the true gospel. The gospel of God Almighty, the immovable one, creator of all things. And his gospel, which is the story of his son. Lord, let us be overwhelmed with the truth that it all belongs to you. And that in getting to know Jesus, we get to know you. Lord, let us give our life to the promise, knowing that the God who called his shot so many times is still calling them now and that you are able to see them through because you are. So 
Father, if there's a man or a woman or a boy or girl in this room that has not found or not heard of the truth and the grace of God's gospel, Jesus Christ, that today they would abandon themselves to give up on themselves, God. They would lay it all at your feet and submit themselves to follow in 